Hello everyone, welcome to Word. <laughs> I never know how to start that. There's an intonation. Uh, welcome to Word. Welcome to Word. Welcome to Word. <laughs> With Dave Clay. Alright. 206 foot tall peak plunging into a 91 degree drop and reaching top speeds of 76 miles per hour. Riders on Iron Gwazi will experience a dozen airtime moments, including three inversions as they <laughs> sink their teeth into crocodile-inspired thrills. Iron Gwazi, um, Hybrid Coaster, Bush Gardens, Tampa Bay, Florida. I was there. <laughs> the Gwazi was closed for, or Gwazi was closed for a number of years, uh, over which I visited Bush Gardens in Tampa Bay. Uh, I enjoy amusement parks. I know it's not everyone's, as they used to say, cup of tea. But I like them. <laughs> Even that, what does tea got to do with amusement parks? I like them. I was thinking about Alice in Wonderland and <laughs> the tea party, and you'll get it here in a minute. I like them. I like them because, to a couple reasons, one it's one of the things I get to do with my son. I was going to call him a kid, he's not a kid, it's insulting. Uh, my son, he's an adult now, but we did it throughout much of his childhood and his adolescence. It was one of those things that he and I could do together. Uh, I'm not necessarily athletically uh, endowed or inclined or skilled. Uh, I'm a little older, so we didn't get that wonderful opportunity to do sports, uh, although I was there, did some coaching, and certainly threw the ball and played some basketball and threw the football and all that, baseball, football, but I never got to really compete with him or go through <laughs> any of that. We played against each other, but... You know, at what point <laughs> do you let him win? And then at what point does he just start beating you? And you say to yourself, won't you just let me win now and then? Uh, but we've gotten to that point. But the amusement parks was a place that the two of us could go to. We could do it together. We had a lot of moments where it was the first time for me, first time for him. There was a lot of thrills. There was a certain degree of physicality that went with it. It was just great. And so we did the grand tour, tried to catch as many of the amusement parks as we could get to, and certainly the interests in coasters, as many of the legendary coasters. But Gwazi was always closed. And so we'd go to Bush Gardens, ride all the others. They had fine coasters at Bush Gardens. Many, many coasters at Bush Gardens. If you've never been to Bush Gardens on a personal endorsement level, I would recommend, if you like amusement parks, try it out. It's nice, kind of themed, uh, maybe not to the same extent that you would get with uh, a trip to other amusement parks, Universal, Disney, 
but it's very, very nice. We liked it. <laughs> made several, again, we liked it so much, made several trips here. But they decided to bring Guazi back. And what gave them this opportunity? Guazi was a wooden coaster, <laughs> I guess. Had its flaws, design flaws, maybe, whatever reason, they closed it down. With the advent of what they call steel coasters, where basically they can go in and within that context of a hybrid, you have the wooden structure there, but they put these steel rails on it. And so you get all that you get with wooden coasters, much smoother ride, uh, but certainly <laughs> very strong, well-built coaster, uh, safe. And uh, you could get a lot of, again, uh, extra thrills out of it simply because you could do things that in, on a steel coaster that you couldn't do, excuse me, on a hybrid coaster that you couldn't do on a wood coaster alone. We finally got the ride, the Guazi, but it wasn't the Guazi now. It was the Iron Guazi. And it was a great ride. And once again, being with my son, being away from everything, going to an amusement park, <laughs> it was great. I was a kid again, maybe. I, saw things differently. It was a lot more fun <laughs> than probably anything else that I've kind of come up with to do in my life. <laughs> it may speak to how boring my life is, although, again, I don't think it's that way. And for those of you who do like amusement parks, you may say, oh, well, that's obviously why we like it, you like it, and it is a great thing. Psychology <laughs> today, February of 2022. What does the psychedelic experience feel like? By Gary Wunk, Wink, Wunk, Wink, W-E-N-K, Ph.D. At the center of the psychedelic experience is the sense that you are not the center of it all. And that is liberating, exhilarating, and possibly life-changing. Every moment of every day, courtesy of the neurotransmitter serotonin, your brain is processing sensory information, such as sights and sounds, and synthesizing it into your sense of self and your sense of place in the environment. You experience this self-referential awareness of a coherent whole as a self or ego. This sense of self feels rather fixed static, but it's not. It's constantly being updated by incoming sensory experiences. The psychedelic experience feels as though this self-referential moment-to-moment updating of the ego has suddenly disappeared. The perception of our familial, or excuse me, familiar self vanishes. The name given to this experience is ego death or ego dissolution. This distortion of our subjective experience of self is central to the psychedelic experience. People describe ego dissolution as a diminished sense of self and an increase in the feeling of being at one with the universe. An experience felt as enriching. However, my students also describe losing their sense of being grounded in the present, feeling disoriented, as though everything was unfamiliar. One student complained that she lost all sense of self, of myself. This aspect of the psychedelic experience can increase feelings of anxiety and fear. 
The psychedelic experience also includes an increase in emotional empathy, the ability to respond to another's mental state. People report a greatly enhanced sociability as though they have been taken off the mask, as though they have taken off the mask they wear around others, or that the personal wall that separates them from others has fallen. Because our ego separates us from others, ego dissolution causes us to feel much closer to other people, whether we know them well or not. Some psychedelics enhance visual imagery and the mixing of audio and visual sensory experiences so that colors might give off sounds. One student said that she watched the colors in a rug slowly rise up into trails of colorful smoke rings. Another had a conversation with her toaster one morning. Studies of rock carvings from Central America compared to drawings from modern subjects demonstrate that psychedelics produce geometric imagery of a consistent nature, regularly featuring, featuring latticework patterning, cobweb structure, and tunnel or funnel effects with spirals. Images tend to pulsate and move toward a center tunnel or away from a bright center. The brightness intensification most users report is due to the dilation of the pupils caused by the drug. Psychedelics have another feature in common. They have few negative cognitive effects. Intellectual or memory impairment is minimal. They do not cause a stupor or narcosis as alcohol and heroin do. And they do not produce excessive stimulation like that experience with cocaine and amphetamines. What gives most psychedelics, including the so-called classics, LSD, psilocybin, DMT, and mescaline, their many and many powerful attributes in common, is that they act on the serotonin, neurons, and receptors in the body and brain. Although there are only a few hundred thousand serotonin neurons in the human brain, they influence the function of virtually every brain region and thus every aspect of normal waking consciousness. Not only is serotonin involved in processing sensory information, it also influences emotional responses such as fear, excitement, and empathy. Further, serotonin neurons control heart rate, respiration, and the release of hormones by influencing the autonomic nervous system. Not all psychedelics produce the same experience because not all psychedelics act on serotonin receptors. The psychedelic experience depends on which neurotransmitter receptors the agent is targeting. For example, extracts of mushroom, of the mushroom, Amanita muscaria alter the function of acetylcholine neurons. Acetylcholine is involved in processing neuronal activity in the area of the neocortex devoted to vision. Users of this mushroom report that normal objects appear bigger or smaller than they truly are, an effect called macropsia or micropsia. Respectively, Lewis Carroll incorporated the effects of this mushroom into Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Again, the analogy I used earlier to tea, my cup of tea. Although they have been demonized in the United States since the 1970s, 
Psychedelics, found naturally in a number of plants, have played a significant cultural role since ancient times, notably in religious ceremonies to facilitate communication with the gods. Typically, strict cultural rituals developed around the psychedelic experience. For example, only persons of high religious rank could consume mescaline, extracted from the peyote or peyote plant. Those of lesser status were accorded the honor of drinking the urine of these individuals. Research into natural psychedelics and a growing array of synthetic variants has been accelerating over the past two decades. The commonly reported experience of increased social connectedness enabled by a decreased sense of self and the disassociating of attention from personal concerns and the development of wonder and appreciation for life gives psychedelics considerable potential for human transformation in troubled times. Again, what does the psychedelic experience feel like? Written by Gary, I'm going to pronounce it as Wink, PhD, at the center of the psychedelic experience is the sense that you are not the center of it all, and that is liberating, exhilarating, and possibly life-changing. And so to going to Bush Gardens or any other amusement park where you get the thrill of riding these awesome, legendary coasters such as Iron Wazi. That's about as close as I've come to psychedelics or the trip. Uh, I would want to say this. I don't want to lessen either the power, as with the article, (laughs) cultural influence, um, what some may, as I see coasters and amusement parks and spending time with my son, as a life-changing event. I don't want to take anything away from those individuals who have found that that to be <laughs> their cup of tea. <laughs> Alice in Wonderland, even as the article references. But I would like to say this, though. That for me, what I like about it all is, as much as I come and I go... I still retain a solid sense of control. I don't forfeit that to a substance to achieve or accomplish that end. And with that, when I want the trip to be over, or even as the trip's going on, I don't know that I necessarily want to think about all those other things that are realities in life. But what I would like to do, though, is... uh, That might be a downer. What I would like to do, though, is be able to at least keep some reference on who I am and who I'm with and what city I'm in, what state I'm in, so that I don't freak out. And as many as probably have had good trips on whatever psychedelics they might use, I would say there's probably an equal number that have actually, as the article also pointed out, found themselves rather lost, uh, disoriented, um, anxious, uh, in losing all sense of self, their ego or eco-death, they become anxious and afraid. And how anxious and afraid, I guess it all depends on who you're taking the trip with and how much of a trip it is and how strong the effect of psychedelics And with that then, I suppose, how long the effect of the drug and 
Are you safe enough or with people who you can trust enough to make it home? Uh, There's also this thing called a flashback that often accompanies trips like that. Uh, It isn't, I don't think, physiologically driven as much as it's trauma-driven. And uh, even though the memories aren't maybe as clear on the trip, Although the article seems to suggest that the reports when you're coming back or off the drug are really quite literal. (laughs) Few cognitive impairments. Memory isn't impaired. So you're going to remember the trip. But if it's scary enough, threatening enough, (laughs) eco-death sounds pretty threatening to me. Uh, I don't know that if I remember that, that I couldn't also then run the risk, if I perceive it as a threat, a trauma, of some sort of PTSD-like flashback. And reliving it would do nothing, even if it's just in my memory, but trigger more of the same, (laughs) or worse thing even, as I do it over and over again, possibly, the fear, the anxiety. Now, again, on coasters, (laughs) I might believe that it's going to kill me, but I know it's not. Uh, Iron Gwazi must have had some design design flaws that was shut down, but as far as I know, nobody died on it. I may be wrong. Google it. I don't know. I don't work for Bush Gardens. They don't endorse me. I don't get kickbacks. They don't sponsor the podcast. I'm just giving a testimonial. But I rode Iron Gwazi, and it was (laughs) stronger and could push me and push the limits of my experiences to a place that I'd never been to before. And with that, probably did dump a boatload of serotonin in my system. And to the extent and degree that it was a natural sort of high, obviously, if you can get high, it's got to be natural because there's nothing that's going to have a psychoactive effect unless there's some physiological dimension that is organically or naturally there uh, that's going to tap into. But I don't know that we know the entirety of long-term psychedelic use. Uh, and though there's no physiological Dependence, as with some of the other drugs the article spoke to, just like with the PTSD. There's also, however, always a risk of psychological dependence. And narcosis is what um, the author chose to use, Gary Wink, PhD, chose to use to describe that physiological tolerance uh, that creates then dependence physiologically, and if you don't use or increase with tolerance increase to get the same effect, uh, the drug, then you're going to uh, not get the effect, but you're also going to, as the tolerance increases to get the same effect, you're going to become physiologically more dependent, and when you stop using it, you're going to risk withdrawal. Now, again, on a psychological level, which there is such a thing as psychological dependence. Uh, It is part of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, American Psychiatric Association, acknowledges psychological dependence can be as troublesome, difficult, 
symptomatic of a disorder, that's what I want to say most accurately, as would be the physiological. Uh, you're probably not going to have so much then the same difficulties once you resolve whatever the dependency might be psychologically as you would physiologically. But a lot of people continue to do things <laughs> that are not good for them just out of coping, compensation, addressing problems, difficulties in life, stress, stressors. <laughs> Maybe they're you know, just trying to change their life and they want something radically new or different. They discover something and it becomes their go-to. They eat pizza all the time. They, there can be sexual addictions, although there's probably, in my opinion, a physiological basis to that. I think most would say there's as much more powerfully so psychological features that, you know, they, it's like the hybrid coaster. They kind of start to get into the physiology of it, the neurotransmitters that go with the primary drive, of sex drive. You get the point. That can become somewhat addictive. But for the most part, psychology, psychological dependence... Maybe isn't as bad, but depending on what you're doing it for and how you're using it, could also be a concern or consideration. <laughs> We've kind of gotten back to thinking about use of psychedelics, back to, because the granddaddy of it all, Timothy Leary, back in the 60s, was saying the same thing. Uh, again, culturally, religious ceremonies. And I guess the religious part is kind of thrown in there because it seems morally okay when you start talking about things religious, although not all would see religion as, as morally good in particular types of religious exercises or paradigms or thoughts, models, uh, other moral people might see it as amoral or maybe in that moral sort of way, evil. So that's not always so clean. But when you start talking about religion and religious experience and you see it historically and it's <laughs> written on the subway walls and tenement halls, uh, in the caves, and there's all this pictures and Hieroglyphics, I think, is what they call those. You know, you can say, well, it's just been around, and, you know, it's kind of moral, and it's kind of high-minded, and it's kind of okay. No, I'm not sure you can always say that, that's my point, about religion or some activity that's involved in it. But I do get the idea that if you feel trapped, <laughs> you want to expand your mind, and you want to see things in a new way, and you've got this substance that you just <laughs> microdot, whatever. You just plug into it, or it, it sort of gets in you in that sort of way, and you can take this trip, and you know, the only cost, maybe, <laughs> outside of all those that I've mentioned in such the negative way, but also I've tried to be fair. We've mentioned positives, and certainly the article was very balanced in its presentation. It just comes back to either the cost of the drug or should you just have great friends who are looking for a great compatriot, um, a sojourner, somebody to take the trip with them, maybe they'll give it to you for free. But I don't know that that 
in the sense that it would be completely dismissive of some context of reality is a good idea. Timothy Leary proposed that back in the 60s. The government actually, it's not a conspiracy theory, was experimenting with a lot of the psychedelics and was actually synthetically so, LSD, uh, was I think as much from the feds as it was anything somebody cooked up in their kitchen. Uh, It certainly wasn't mescaline, peyote, uh, more herbal or plant-based in the sense that or in the way that you would go out and maybe use peyote, peyote. They say the Vikings, by the way, use the mescaline, but that's what caused them to be labeled raging. <laughs> Vikings, uh, they were mad when they would go to battle. They'd take all this stuff and they'd become killing machines. Uh, I digress a bit. Alice in Wonderland, <laughs> Lewis Carroll. Uh, he wrote that. <laughs> it sounds as if under the influence. No wonder it's such a wild and wonderful fantasy. But again, I prefer to experience it through the literature or literary aspect. And should there be a ride, (laughs) go to Disney. Uh, That's okay, too. Uh, The teacups, that's okay, too. Uh, I can get on it. I can get off of it. And though there's a monetary cost that's associated with that... I don't really risk psychological dependence if my intention and intent would be to somehow check out. I, I, I know that we need rest. And again, recreationally, I could see where there may be some benefit, even psychotherapeutically. And I'm not sure this was the direction it was going in the 60s with Timothy Leary whom, by the way, kind of still has a bit of a bad rap. And with that, then a lot of people still think psychedelics have been slow to consider psychedelics as something um, useful, uh, empirically sound, uh, something that we could see where there would be utility because it's only now coming back around. And even so... The article in Psychology Today, by the time it gets into a journal, the pop psychology, acknowledges that there's a bit of interest going on. But it is also a very stressful point in human history. <laughs> there's a lot of things we're contending with, but it doesn't seem checking out, particularly on a regular basis, or taking too many trips is probably good business if it means we're not going to attend to or address the things that we need to address, be able to deal with the stress. Um, And you can say, well, we could deal with it with a different reference point. Yeah, but sometimes reference points aren't bad. Precedence works really well in science and law. (laughs) And science and law are one and the same. At least the judicial system the way it works, it's constructed of the same kind of hypothetical deductive reasoning, empiricism. Uh, you can test it, new theories, but you don't do that excluding whatever knowledge base you've been able to amass. Uh, I'm not sure we want to completely eradicate our ego or identity if it works somewhat the same way. It's our consciousness and an awareness of who we are. 
Yes, liberty and choice. Yes, seeing things differently. Yes, even with the use of psychedelics to sort of uh, format. (laughs) I discovered that yesterday. Uh, Means to swipe or to kind of erase or reconfigure. Whatever. Uh, And yesterday was in context to memory. Uh, Basically deleting it. You know, you delete the reference. Get a new perspective. And then kind of when you come back from the trip, I get it. You can apply it to what you know and take that new perception. And with that, all the things that might be facts or new ways of looking at the facts, truths, new truths. (laughs) You look at that and say to yourself, well, sure, why don't we try this? And I, I guess, again, I'm okay with that. And certainly for individuals who, in whatever obsessive compulsive sort of way, Uh, whose identity has been so, failure, has been so attached to their identity, negative self-esteem, self-appraisal, that they're holding themselves, not only holding themselves to a very, very destructive narrative storyline about their life and who they are, so you can't talk them out of it. Talk therapy doesn't always work. And though you can prescribe some medication to increase the serotonin, sometimes you do need to swipe it and delete the reference at least long enough to give them maybe a, a tangible empirical empiricism applied tangible empirical experience with a different way of looking at themselves. But you still have to go back and put it within context of reality. And what is reality? I know it's not facts are facts and truth is somewhat fluid and arbitrary and, you know, reality even is our interpretation. Usually we do that as with, again, science and law, concurrent validity, two witnesses, we replicate the studies produces the same sort of results consistently, but our interpretation is certainly malleable or open to change. I get all that. But if it's working and if it's in that same sort of aspect tied to process and it's built upon years and years of study or human history, it doesn't seem that it's going to change so quickly, radically, without some issue of getting lost and anxiety and fear, or that we should just go out one day and say, we're just going to do it all differently, because there's some of that that's proven itself adaptive. Some of that, as with science, we've maybe one day we'll find some additional data that would cause us to look at it differently, or maybe just somebody will come along and see it differently and say, wait a minute. And we'll make some modifications, but those are better if they're slow. There's an evolutionary benefit to slow, progressive. (laughs) Give the entire, not only body, individual singularly, but culture, peoples, persons, community, chance to make that adjustment. And so you don't dismiss talk therapy, you just 
use psychedelics as a way to get a new view on it. Okay, I'm okay with that. Just as long as it doesn't run the risk of psychological dependence. uh, And with that, then people don't have then, as with that, also uh, some degree of PTSD. It goes along with it. Bad trips, flashbacks, those kind of things. Maybe we need to go back and revisit it. I don't know that I want to make it the argument for doing it moral. Let's just keep it science. I I want to stay away from religion. I want to stay from morality. Unless it does represent in some ways the highest order. And right now, for the sake of word with Dave Clay, science. If there is a human sort of narrative or paradigm we apply, a way of looking at or determining truth, let it be science. And and should it <laughs> require some legal wrangling, some contention, disputation within the context of differing opinions, then let it be as with journal articles and even if it has more civil sort of applications, uh, let's go before impartial and objective judges who are going to use precedents, like scientists who are going to offer theories, but they're not going to overturn something unless they're just really confident that a truth, a reality, or at least what we have commonly come to as a truth and reality without really good reason to do that. And if it runs then the risk of avoidance, not dealing with all the tough questions that our current state of human being, not as a singular person, but as all humans, uh, brings to us, we want to stay on point. We want clarity of thought. We want all the resource that's available. And even as then it might apply more generally to recreational use, okay. (laughs) But just make sure that you're psychologically worthy of that, meaning you're not looking for an escape on a personal level. Or that escape, as I've tried to point out, has associated consequences, as I've also attempted to identify in the podcast today. I, I don't get from the article that there's an angle, and I don't necessarily want to suggest that I have an angle on it. I, I can say I've never done it. I can also say that I probably am more inclined to go find experiences that bring about that type of physiological, biochemical sort of rearrangement of neurotransmitters and <laughs> Give me a chance to step outside myself and see if I can see myself in a different light, different perspective. It's what my story about Iron Gwazi was about on the front end. That seems to be to be a little less risky than using psychedelics. Uh, But should you be one of those individuals that has plenty of experience with it, and maybe it is part of a religious ceremony, and I've got—I certainly wouldn't want to cast shade on that. That's fantastic. If it works, it's got proper context, and it's kind of one of those things that you do with the people, you and your people, your persons, okay. 
But mass culture, bringing other individuals into it, maybe there's less risky, less intrusive sort of activities we can do. Uh, maybe, maybe talk therapy, you know, will work after you kind of change your perspective. But you know, another way to change perspective is try to promote happy thoughts. I know that sounds kind of silly. Uh, people go to movies, though they. Try to counter all the negativity by finding art, <laughs> recreation, uh, spending time with your family. That's a wonderful thing if it's healthy, adaptive, um, built upon our best definition of love operationally, where we respect one another, encourage one another, support one another, tell one another how much we appreciate one another, are kind to one another. Have robust, hearty discussions when we have differences of opinion, but don't want to kill one another, or don't want to call the other person evil or bad, or shame them, or do anything else that would take away from self-esteem. You could possibly not need psychedelics. <laughs> maybe that is the greater stress, and in that way, maybe you could go back to cultures that had a bit of a moral flavor to them if that's what their morality was predicated upon, was, well, we just need to be nice to one another. We need to love one another. We need to honor and respect one another. We need to be truthful. No lying, no cheating, no stealing. No abuse, no exploitation. <sighs> you get the picture. Don't manufacture things that you know are going to harm and kill people just to make a profit. Don't continue to sell things or promote things that are sick for you. But also in the same sort of way, don't promote things that are supposed to be good for you. But end up in the end, because you didn't do your due diligence, killing people. Even if it's a percentage that's lesser than the people that were saved, you might still want to think about that. I mean, that's used to be how we did stuff like that, particularly when it came to the FDA or the CDC and all of that. Let's just get back to what we know to be solid science, empiricism, and <laughs> get out of all this opinion stuff and take moral positions when really unless it's kind of capturing that idea that we all agree happy thoughts, love, if you see that as a moral inclination, what's wrong with that? Better than unhappy thoughts. It's better than anger. It's better than murdering people and raping people and exploiting people and killing people and... I think we could all agree on that. So, whether Timothy Leary was right or not, whether it's proper or not to get back to psychedelics, do they have utility? We'll find out. These are just some of my preliminary concerns as I'm going to keep an eye on it. And I thought I'd share those with you because you may not have thought of them or maybe you have and... We all agree. We just need to be sober-minded. No pun intended. What does the psychedelic experience feel like? At the center of the psychedelic experience is a sense that you are not the center of it all, and that is liberating, exhilarating, and possibly life-changing. Just don't let it kill you <laughs> or other people. 
Psychology Today, January, February 2023, author Gary Wink. And who am I? I'm Dave Clay. What are you listening to? Word with Dave Clay. What do I want? I want it to be helpful. I want it to be useful. I want to share information. I like the conversational aspect of it. But I want you to come back if you find it beneficial because I do believe sharing this kind of information helps people. I may not get to see them in some sort of professional dimension and provide psychological counseling. It's not what this is about. This is not offering or intention to offer psychological counseling on an individual level. But it is intention to provide current data and information that we believe is more than less empirically sound from a credible source or sources so that you can take it in. And to share with you how all of us psychological counselors or those types ought to and should be thinking about things like this. And how we would take the day to put it together so that we then might help you. But should you need that individual assistance, seek it out. Psychology Today offers a great directory, and it's very specific to where you live, of providers that they've vetted. Go to it. Psychology Today webpage, look for the provider directory and you're going to find individuals. Psychology Today also does not pay me. This is not a paid endorsement. It's just my own professional, and with that I suppose, individual personal testimony. You will find a good provider, psychiatrist, social worker, psychological counselor, psychologist. They're all there. And you get pictures of them, too, and bios. And so you get a chance to figure out who it is before you go see them. But by this point, yet, by this point, hopefully you've kind of figured out at least enough about me that you will be and found me to be acceptable enough. You will be interested in coming back. And to what, again, our next edition of Word with Dave Clay. And as I like to say, fond of saying. In the meantime, I want to wish you the best in terms of behavioral as well as physical well-being, behavioral health and physical well-being. Until then, 